We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender at Blender HD. Join with me as always every Monday. It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, the co-author with me of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass that you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. James, we're, we're a month into the MLB season, right? I got, but before I get into that, I got to get everyone in the YouTube chat. I always have to say hello to you people, right? Daniel Hutchins, Daria Rosenstack, Daniel Lessery, Frederick Dude, DJ Cicero, Quinn Williams. It's like romper room. I have to do the whole mirror thing, whatever. I got my apple juice here. Hit the thumbs up button. There you go. James, we're in a month into the MLB season. Do you have a... Do do you feel? I, I've I've done so, a little bit of, of I don't want to call it a data analysis because it's not it's more of an anec- anecdotal analysis. I haven't run anything. I'm just doing some research, looking through some lineups, looking through some percentages of like ownership combinations for this past month. Do you feel as if ownership has gotten? too meta it's kind of weird for me to say i feel like i I think eric beinforce tweeted about this a couple of days ago that the common the common i mean correct assumption in mlb dfs is that pitchers are less variant hitters are obviously more variant so most likely the way to, where to get different is in the high variant spots. I mean, we see that in any DFS sport. If say if the high variant spot is going to be owned, you want to be you you don't want them. And if and if a high variant spot is going to be way under owned, you want them. 
right? It's the Robbie Ray rule, as uh, as Cheese would say, right? You play him when he's not owned, but when he's chalked, don't even touch him. Uh, do you feel from the ownership, we've seen more lineups than than in past years. So we're it's all in comparison that people are more likely now to jam in the two, just jam in the two best pitchers and get different at bats, which is now kind of reversing the trend of ownership. Meaning that people are actually paying attention to like, oh, well, the Yankees are chalk, the Braves are chalk. Like, I'm going to play the two chalk pitchers though. I, I don't care. Like the pitchers are coming in at even higher ownership levels than what's being projected. And then the, the hitter stacks that are being high owned are still being high owned, but nowhere near as high owned as they would be in the past. And the the leverage stacks are actually higher owned. They're not, they're not high owned, but normally when we'd get a 2% owned stack, we're now getting it as a 5% owned stack. And the pitchers are just ballooning. Scherzer, Gilito, DeGrom, we're getting, you know, it's just like, you project them for 60% ownership and they're 80% owned. Do you, do you, do you, first off, do, I mean, do, do you feel like that's the case this first month of the season? Um, so I, I, I do think... I just, uh, it just, uh, I'm confirmation bias. I have an hypothesis from, because obviously I play uh, 50, hundred lineups right. a day. You know, I'm not just single entry and not just playing cash. So I, I tend to look at these things. <clears throat> Is it just, something that like I hypothesized about and then I'm just kind of just finding the evidence for or or is it something? So pitchers are definitely being higher owned right now. You can project and it's not necessarily like uh, like every pitcher on a slate that is projected to be the highest owned comes in significantly higher. Owned. Like sometimes they're about right. You know, you project like 35%, they come in 40, 45%, whatever. But the highest owned pitchers, most slates in, in ownership projections, because I do an aggregate of, of a bunch of sources across the industry, most of the higher owned pitchers by projection come in as the highest owned. But we see the studs coming in at just gross ownership. Like Scherzer yesterday was projected for like 37% ownership, came in at like 65 or something. DeGrom a couple of days ago came in at, I, I think it was like 42% ownership projection, came in at 83. Um, those guys, I think the industry is just like, oh yeah, just start there, go somewhere else. Um, which, you know, we can, we can hypothesize about why that is, uh, but regardless of the hypothesis why that is, that is happening. But with the bats, I don't think people are getting off these chalk spots. Like I, that's the part that I kind of disagree with you on that. Uh, because well, like, I, I, no, no, I agree. I agree that they're not getting off. I, I think more of the field is, I hmm. think in past they'd be chalkier. I don't think that more of the field is, I think more of the sharper players are. I, I think that like what we consider the field, like the, the bunch of random people that are, they're entering these GPPs. I think those people are still like just gung ho about the top two owned pitchers, like the, like all the projections. They're just like, yeah, just jamming the projections, use an optimizer, give me the Yankees with the Grom with six eight hundred dollar Andrew Heaney. Like that, like the field is still doing that. I think that there are 
more people willing to accept the leverage that you gain from doing those leverage stacks of like say the tigers or the rangers or like um the the mariners or something like that like i i think that there are more people that are willing to accept that variance at bats but not enough people that i would say that it is a changing of the guard like i think that you can look at it and say okay so the mariners where they would usually be three percent owned or something like that sure they're coming at five to six percent owned but I think a lot of that is uh, like max enter people, like MME guys. And I think that it is people who are um, listening to people like you and I who are putting out this information about, hey, this is where you need to be in MLB. This is where you need to be getting your leverage. This is where you need to be turning those dials. You know, there, there are people that are listening to people like you and I. And then there are these MME guys that are more accepting of the variance in MLB. But I think that the vast majority of the field is still just like, oh, well, why would I fade the Yankees in this spot? Uh, I'm just going to do Yankees with two best pitchers and then hopefully just be different elsewhere. But they don't understand what being different means. They don't understand like the taking- They also don't understand the correlation of their lineups. Right, right, like, right. Like a, a, lot of, a lot of times uh, we talk really about correlation. Right, right. James, we talk about correlation like in the course, right? And people view correlation as- Oh, like five guys from the same team. Like they're correlated to each other. A lot of times there's two other versions of correlation and that would be correlation to your other lineups. Mm-hmm. Now that's when we're talking about diversification and risk management, where I say it's like, oh, you can play a hundred lineups that all have like the same guys and just one guy different. It's like, well, then all your lineups are correlated to one another, which means their results will be correlated to one another, which means if you do well, you're going to do well on like all your lineups. And if you do bad, you're going to do bad on all your lineups. All the, the lineups are correlated to each other. But then you also have the correlation of construction, which is what you're talking about. I'm going to put in the two chalk pitchers and the chalk five man stack. And then I'm going to try to get different. Well, how many combinations are there? of those three one-offs and you're going to have some $2,700 guy that projects, you know, we're going to have the Andrew Carroll offs and the, and the, whoever, whoever, whoever the cheap had Christian Pash. Right. Right. There'll be some mispriced. I mean, they're not like the greatest batters, but I mean, no, pretty, pretty much, pretty much no batter should be under three K on DraftKings. Uh, It, you're going to put that guy in and it's going to lead you those other three spots in your lineup aren't going to give you enough left. Like you think that, Oh, I'll get different elsewhere, but really your construction is you, you got seven guys in there that like that seven guy lineup is in your contest, like hundreds of times, like hundreds upon hundreds. So how many combos, and then you're spending at least like 49, five or something in your lineup. It's like, how, how, how many, how many, how many of those combos are there where where you're getting a high enough projection? Well, there. So now 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 one of your one offs is going to be twenty percent owned, which means it's going to be in, in now instead of seven guys, now you're competing a fifth of those lineups have the other have the eighth guy in it, right? So this is really what we're talking about. That, and and I like what you said that I think it's it's more of the field. Yeah, but we're talking about maybe not the sharpest portion of that field. Mm-hmm. And I think the meta stuff is what we're talking about when it comes to the, the sharper players, the 150 maxers that 150 maxers tend to 
jamming the best pitchers and have no problem playing literally any stack on the slate. I mean, I mean, I diversified myself. I mean, I, I play some slate. We'll have a slate tonight. What? 10 games? 10 games. It's yeah. quite possible that I have 12 stacks. I mean, I could have, I could, out of the 20 teams, I will have at least one stack of like 12 different teams. Now, it doesn't mean I have a lot of them, but like, yeah, like yesterday with the, the Dodgers, like yesterday's slate was, <laughs> was nuts. What well, was a summer slate? I consider yesterday to be like a summer yeah. slate. Yeah. With the offense, we have three offenses that put up at least 12 runs. Four. Four. Offenses. Four. Right. We had four that put up yeah. 12 runs. Uh, and then the dot you had the Dodgers, and if you stack the Dodgers, and unless you had the bottom of the order, you're dead. Right? Well, I was just gonna say, like you, if you stack the Dodgers, you might have gotten a zero from one of the top guys, and freaking Matt Beatty out here with like 19 RBI. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was no, sick. but I had I, in single entry, I came in third because I had uh, I had a Will Smith, Seager, uh, Will Smith, Seager, and uh, Pollock and Beatty. Pollock, Beatty, and who, and then Turner, or so, whoever, someone else. And I had a five. I always have five man stacks. Yeah. Uh, it just so happened to work out that way. Sure. Okay. Uh, but I also had Cubs and and Reds. But of course, you had to have the right pieces. If you didn't get yesterday, if you didn't get a, at least a hundred points out of your outfield in total, you weren't even close. Well, and you need a Kluber too. Right. I played Tigers. So obviously that didn't work out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, and when you look at, at that kind of thing, it, it was the Braves that were the chalk. And yesterday is like an incredible example of just like, why are you playing 40% on Braves? Like, why are you, why are you doing it? Sure. They, they could have been the ones to put up like 15 runs, of course, but like, there's so much more to gain from having a 4% owned Nick Cassianos and like a, a 7%. Alex Kirilov, who has been underpriced for like a year now, he he was like seven percent owned or something. Twins are going up. Yeah, but but that's but but James, you're saying that as if that's low in comparison to other years, it would have been lower. Like we even take a look at the Braves yesterday, sure. and we we take a look at the Yankees yesterday, that. These teams are still not as high owned. Like the I, I was shocked. The Cubs, when Chris Ryan hit that first home run, I'm like, I'm like, oh great! Like I got Cub, I got Cub stacks, I got a ton of that game, and I see he's 11 percent owned, and it's and it's a big slate. It's a what a 12 game slate? Yeah. Yesterday or whatever it was. Yeah. I wasn't expecting double digit ownership. I was. I'm like, why is he getting owned? Why like, why is he getting ownership? Why like? And it's not that 11% is like high, but I think in years past, it would have been eight. It would have been seven. Like, yeah. like I'm, I'm not talking about like big discrepancies. Acuna yesterday was maybe what? 20, like 20 something percent owned. He's like 30. I don't know. Right. But I mean, he would have been 5% owned like the, the Swansons, the Freeman. I mean, yes, the Brave stack was the highest owned stack, but it would be even higher. And then we take a look at like Scherzer yesterday. Like he was 57% owned and Giolito was 33% owned. Like I, I I feel as if in the past Scherzer would have been 48 and Giolito would have been 36. Like, like the, it, it would have, it would have been closer. Scherzer actually projected so much better. He's facing the Marlins, but. Well, and he was only 9,600. 
Right. I mean, Scherzer in, in past years, I, I also like I, I do want to touch on that really quick. The pricing on pitchers has been really weird this year um, where I, I feel like a lot of pitchers have just straight up been underpriced. Uh, you could even argue that DeGrom at 11-2 was, was underpriced for, for who he is. You, you can make those arguments. Scherzer at 9,600, I, I honestly was surprised he wasn't 75% under. Like I, I thought that he was going to be significantly higher just simply because at at that price and being able to afford him and Giolito who had thrown like a, a, a no hitter a couple of games before. Um, I, I expect significant ownership on these guys when you can afford them with the Brave stack. And maybe that is one of the things that's driving up the ownership of pitchers and driving down a little bit of the ownership of other stacks. But um I do. I, I understand what you're saying, and, and I think that it is applicable to a lot of different parts of the stacks. I also think that, like Acuna being that 30% owned, we're seeing really low ownership on other parts of a Brave stack. Like, I don't think that we're seeing correlated ownership. Would you Would you agree with that? Like, no, I, no, I, think... I, I've, I've had I've had conversations in the past week or two. Yeah. With 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 the thing, those those are the types of things that don't make sense to me. Yeah. Where your calculus because. When you're choosing stacks, the whole purpose of me bringing this up is that when you're choosing stacks and making lineups, you're always relating the success rate of the stack to the ownership. Mm-hmm. So I remember there was a slate last week that the Cubs, the Cubs were the winning team. Uh, and I played a ton of them. And ownership projections had that stack as like maybe like the sixth or seventh highest owned stack. But like the bat had the Cubs as the number one point per dollar stack. Like it had like the Cubs were projected the best and they were only going to be the seventh most owned. And it's not just RG. I looked around the industry. It was a kind of consensus with the ownership. So it's like, okay, I'm going to play a ton of Cubs because at this ownership, they're plus EV. I want to play as many of these Cubs stacks as possible. Then lock hits. And I look and the Cubs, the Cubs end up being the second most highest owned stack. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of that could be down to people, more people use projections, right? They, they, you know, you saw in the bat, the Cubs were the highest and you saw in other systems, the Cubs were higher than seventh. Like anyone could have made that assumption. They go, why is why is, is the ownership coming in seventh highest when they're the third highest projected? And now people are looking and they go, well, I'm going to play more of the Cubs. I'm going to play more of the... And then next thing you know, they're actually over-owned. So now I'm looking at my lineups before the game even starts, as the first pitch happens going, if I would have known that the Cubs were twice as owned as I thought they were going to be, I would have barely played them. Yeah. Now, I, now in that specific instance they came in or whatever but i mean at their ownership i didn't get enough relative value and now i'm now looking at my lineups going some of these lineups are too chalky like now like uh, if if i wouldn't have known that i wouldn't have had the two chalk pitchers in this cubs lineup i wouldn't have had the chalk one off in this cubs lineup so like it it's a very big deal to me to figure out like the the what what the the meta effect of projections and ownership are where people are looking at this stuff and we're talking about the sharp portion of the field. Yeah. We're not talking about like the other 30%, like you said, that are just jamming in the best plays or not even correlate, not even building stacks. Like that's, I'm not even concerning myself with that, but
But the difference between uh, a 15% owned stack and a 7% owned stack is dramatic. If I believe their efficient ownership is like 10, like that gap means like the difference between I'm playing 100 lineups. And I think on that slate, I think I played like 22 Cub stacks in 100 lineups. Yet if I would have known the ownership beforehand, I would have played them in like four lineups. Right? Where they're high projected, sure. And I could build some lineups like that, but I'd rather go elsewhere if too many people are playing the Cubs stacks. So how how do I how do how do we how do we look at at ownership projections, knowing that other people are looking at ownership projections? Like that's to me, that's the that's the meta game here. Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at pitcher ownership projections yesterday. And I'm going, Scherzer's going to be over 50% owned. I don't care it says 38. I don't care that this other site says 32. Like, everyone had it in, like, the high 30s, low 40s, and it comes in at, at 57%. Like, I have to mentally, I have to just say, no, that people are just jamming in the best pitchers way more than what what mathematically you should be doing. And obviously, when you do that, you also limit what bats you have. So, like, if people, if I see people are jamming in X and Y, I have to think that that uh, <clears throat> some of these cheaper stacks are going to be owned or the cheaper portion of the chalk stacks. We had one slate, I think two weeks ago, where Gil Heredia, like the Braves were chalky, but Gil Heredia was like 10% owned, batting eighth at home. And it's not like he projected that well. Now the Braves projected well, but the only way to get a stand and whatever 11K pitcher on that slate, in order to get the 11K pitcher and a brave stack of five men, you need a 2,800 Gil Heredia. Like to get five, like if you just programmed it in, you'd need, you couldn't play the top five. You had to play. You couldn't even play Darno because he was expensive a catcher. So you had to play a cheap catcher from some other team, some $2,700 catcher from some other team. And Gil Heredia in your five-man Atlanta stack in order to play that pitcher combo. But like when, when Gil Heredia is 10% owned, when he's like, like that has to be a byproduct of those types of, of meta, the, those, the, the, the meta game, the meta game, meaning that people are looking at what they should, what they should be do, what in theory is under owned slamming that. And then seeing that so many other people are slamming that. Yeah, am I, am I over exaggerating the effect? Because I, I'm just not. I'm not used to it. I'm not used to twelve game slates where pitchers are, where you have multi, we have a pitcher or two that are over fifty percent owned on a slate, and it's not a slate where it's clearly these two are the best. Right. And then there's like garbage, garbage middle relief, like 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 uh, openers. Like there, there are certain slates where it's a ten game slate. There's two. Like there's literally half the play, half the pitcher pool. You wouldn't even consider in a lineup in any regard because they're only going to pitch three innings, or you know they're they're in cores, you know that type of thing. Uh, we're getting we're getting slates like yesterday. We had we had we had other real pitchers, and those pitchers are coming in like way under owned. Yesterday, I I I, I miss I miss flipped the the Molly uh, the Molly uh, Kluber ownership yesterday. The Molly Rogers Kluber. I thought I thought Kluber out of those three would be because he's facing the Tigers, be the highest of those three. 
I had I had Rogers highest owned of those three in projections. I'm looking at it now. I had Trevor Rogers at 26. I had Molly at nine, and I had Kluber at 17. Right. That's what that's what RG had. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So I was considering playing Molly against the Cubs in some lineups. I was going to fade. I was playing the Nationals against Rogers. Rogers didn't project well in the bat, and I sure. saw him at 26 percent ownership. I'm like, but he didn't come in at 26. He came in lower than that. He came in 13. Right. Like he came right half of that. Yeah. Molly came in double mm -hmm. and Kluber came in, came in at only like nine or 10%, but at nine or 10% for Kluber, like, this is what I mean by it makes, it, it sounds like, oh, what, 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 are you, what, what are we talking about? Dude, Kluber at 17%, I'm playing the Tigers. Kluber at 9%, I'm playing Kluber and not playing the Tigers. Like it, it crossed the threshold. Molly, Difference between nine and twenty at twenty percent. I don't even consider playing him at all. I'm, and I'm playing more Cub stacks against him. Right? Yesterday I didn't play as many Cubs because I because Molly still projected well, so I still played a couple of Molly lines. Like yeah. it, you need you need these numbers. You need and the numbers are never going to be perfect. The RG ownership is never going to be perfect. You're never going to find it's the hardest thing to do, mm -hmm. right? But you have to mentally go in and go. Well, a lot of these ownership projections are based around there's some human input, but it's primarily algorithmic, right? Based on what possible constructions there could be, it goes through an entire formula and goes, well, if this guy's this percent on, then this guy can't be this. And it goes through the entire player pool like that. Uh, like if this guy's owned, that means it's more likely his teammates going to be owned because of people stacking, but how many people stack? So it has to go through all of that. But then, then, then everyone's looking at that. So people are looking at that going, did people look and go, well, Kluber's going to be 17% owned. Should I not play Kluber? Or Rogers is 26% owned and on multiple projections, he doesn't project great. He's not bad, but in comparison, so they go, well, how do I play a 26%? They, they, the, they do the same thing that I just did, right? How do I play 26% owned Rogers when he's like the eighth best projected pitcher on the slate? Where Carlos Martinez actually projects better at way lower ownership. And then all of a sudden, Rogers comes in at 13% owned. And then at 13% at owned, I go, well, I should have played him at 13% owned. Right? Like, like that's that's the metagame. But you, but you like you said, you you believe that a lot of this, I don't call it manipulation, but the market, the market effect of the 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 projections and ownership and content that's out is more reflective based on like the high volume players mm -hmm. versus like the, the, the field. Yeah. Only because the, you could go to some of these large field GPPs on some days when it's like $18 on DraftKings, like 45% of the field is 150 max players. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I don't know how much of it is people saying, that the ownership looks too high or too low. I think that a lot of it comes from content creation, which is like the other part of that. And content creation is what drives a lot of ownership. But I talk about it a lot in my community about how ownership projections are super difficult to manage and to maintain. And it's the reason why I haven't jumped into building algorithms for it. Because there is this element of like, if Osmo says something, it moves the needle. 
Well, like, RG says if RG, if we, RG says right, something, say yeah. something, it moves the needle to some extent. Yeah. If if cheese says something, like it moves the needle a little bit. So then when you have all of these kind of like there, there's hundreds of content, uh, there's hundreds of pieces of content created for every slate. And so especially like I noticed a lot during the NFL season, and especially like during the pandemic when we had League of Legends because there were only like four or five sources that had League of Legends projections, I knew that if I was different from Osimo's projections at, at Pater, like my, my top stack was going to be like 2% owned. Like I, I just, I just knew because I knew that people were going there and saying, Oh, well, I trust this person to give me the correct information. I trust them to be on the ball. I trust them to have the right info. I'm going to follow them. And then what it, what it ends up happening is like if Osmo or Roto Grinders or like one of these really highly respected content creators puts out something that says, Oh, uh, Tyler Molle has this stat that means that he's way better against the Cubs. It's well, Molly projected well. When, when the, the, I, the, the thing that you're saying is that. Well, but he, he projected well. He projected well, but he projected, for me, he projected with Rodgers and he projected with Barrios, right? So those guys looked like they were going to be 20% owned, but then people like Barrios more. People like Rodgers more. So those guys will get written up more usually. But if Tyler Molle gets written up and not Jose Barrios, now the ownership goes to Molle instead of Barrios. So like, I, I think that the projections matter. Like that's what the field is playing. The field is playing the projections. The people who are reading the articles and consuming the content, probably another like 20%, 25% in the field or something like that. Those guys are going to play who was written up and projects well. So then there's that. I mean, but it's, a, it's the same, it's the same people. I, I don't think it's the same people. I think there's a significant portion of the field, like 20 to 25%. No, no, I'm field. not talking about the plays. I'm talking about the, that like for me to say yesterday, if I, the Braves were the best plays. Now the, they didn't get there. Sure. But I mean, the project, but that, that, they're also the best project. I mean, like, like that's what I'm right. saying. Like the content that's coming out, all it is, is here are the best plays, but that doesn't best plays in a vacuum from a player projection standpoint, doesn't make for the best lineups, but if you, you always have to factor ownership into it, but, sure. but the content is all going to be best plays and the but best the content can't write up all of Rogers, Molle, Kluber and Barry. Can. Have you read, read cheese's articles? He writes up everyone. I have not actually read a lot of different articles. So I like, there you go, right. <laughs> so I personally, when I create content will not just like shotgun everything because I think that that's not what I should be giving as subscribers. But like, if there are people doing that, then I, I don't know, man, it's weird because you're right that there is this like kind of metagame of looking at things and saying like you as a very sharp player and me as a sharp player, look at things and say, okay, so yesterday, I had the twins with a average eight plus runs percentage, like how often they score more than eight runs, 58% of the time. Like I had them crushing Keller and the Royals, but they were only supposed to be projected to be 50% owned. And I'm like, just launch twin stacks in there. Right. Right. I know that. And they came in really, really low owned, but like, I get a lot of questions and I got, I get a lot of people, even in my community that are still just like, Oh, well, it feels like a Braves day. I'm like, everybody says that like they're, they're projected to be a hundred percent owned as aggregate. So why not just play the twins instead? But I think there's still a significant portion of people out there that are just like, 
I see a high IRT. I see that they're highly projected at other places. I'm just going to play them. And it's still like, it's and, just them and then the chalk pitchers. And then just hope for that. Then, but obviously, obviously, you're not going to win a large field GPP doing No, because even if the Braves go off yesterday at 30% ownership, congrats, you're competing with 30% of the field. Like, and even if they, hey, if, even if they scored 12 runs yesterday, you still may not, you, the winner may not have any Braves in it. Yeah, because guess what? Three other teams scored 12 plus runs. Right. So I'm it's sitting there going, really... which of my teams are going to do well? Either the Cubs stack, the Red stack, the Dodgers stack, the Twins right. stack. Right. And it turns out I'm trying to find, like, do I have a piece of one in the other? Right. Because mm-hmm. you're looking and you're going, okay, when Karoloff goes off, oh, maybe I have him at first base on the Dodgers stack. And I don't. But I mean, and the Dodgers stack, it's like I look at the Dodgers stack and I have Pollock and Betts. And it's like, okay, Betts is zero doesn't do anything for me. Right. So that line is dead. Right. Right. But but this this comes down to the the the, the strategy. This is this is what, what we talk about in the course and what I say all the time is that you, the projections are the starting point. I think what you're describing is, is figuring out the probabilities of the teams. Who, yeah. What teams are more likely to do well than others? Yeah. That's, that's what projections are. Yeah. And people look at that and go, well, yesterday it was the Braves or uh, the Dodgers, right? They look, oh, they're projected to do well versus the Tigers or the Marlins, obviously, facing Scherzer, going, well, I want to play the teams that are project that are more likely to do well. But that's not how that's not how you win at DFS. Mm-hmm. You you don't win at DFS by by predicting outcomes. You you win at DFS by playing outcomes that have higher probabilities than they will be owned, not the highest probabilities. The Braves yesterday were over-owned, meaning. Yes, even though they are the highest probability to put up the, the stack to be successful, uh, you can't win with them unless you get really different elsewhere because so many other people will have those points. Yet if you play the twin stack or you play the red stack and you go, how do you play the red stack, right? You take a look at the red stack yesterday. It was overpriced. The reds were overpriced yesterday from, from a median perspective. Castellanos and Votto was over 5K, right? Like they were. I, the Reds were one of my top stacks that I played. They, in my models, they had a 31% chance of scoring eight plus runs. Right. Now, they're way more expensive than the Dodgers though, mm-hmm. right? But that also means that less people are going to play them because of that. And then you can't, it's very hard to get a, a five-man Red stack and play Scherzer and Giolito in that lineup. Like you have to go down. So I played like someone like Fultonevich at 5,800. I played Carmart with Scherzer in those type of lineups. Obviously I could have played Kluber, but I didn't. Uh, but the key reason is that from a point per dollar value, the Reds don't rate out well, but from a ceiling perspective, they do. And they're not. And I look at the ownership and I go, why don't, why aren't I playing a 4% owned 5% owned Red stack? Give it to me there. That's, to me, that's profitable. Are 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 the Reds the most probable team? No, that's not. That's not what I'm out. That's not what I'm out to do. So you believe, James, that that there's still enough of the field. Obviously, there is. There's still tons of dead money. So like I'd, that, we're not getting to the point where we have to look at and go like completely meta. 
everyone knows that this is the contrarian team. So now you're going to play the chalk team. We saw that in NFL sometimes in some of the higher stake stuff where it's like, you know, the obvious spot was actually less owned because everyone was going off of them. I don't think we, we, we've not even come close to reaching that spot, but I, I still think that uh, if you, if you're out there playing, you have to be a little bit more careful that the higher owned pitchers are going to be a little bit higher owned than what is initially projected. And you have to be comparable to the, the stacks that project well, that seem to be less owned, maybe slightly higher owned because of that, that you have to manually adjust that in your head a little bit, at least. So that, 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 that slate with the Cubs, I was, I, this is what I mean by it. I was on tilt before the game started. Like the first at bat, I'm just like, why, why the, why the Cubs disowned? Well, why would I mean that that's to, cause this, cause to me, that's how you judge your play. We talk about it. Yeah. You judge your play by, well, ha, would you have made any decision? Would you have changed your decisions? Not based on the results, based on looking at the ownership and looking at your lineups. Would you have changed your decisions before lock? Right. And once I saw the Cubs ownership, I said, yeah, absolutely. I would have played less Cubs. Yeah. So now I'm sitting there going, to me, it doesn't matter that the Cubs did well that day. It's like, I wanted them to do well at 7% ownership, not 15% ownership. They didn't have enough. They, they were not profitable as a stack at 15% ownership. They were at seven. So now, had I known it was 15, I wouldn't have played the Cubs. I would have lost, obviously, by not playing the Cubs. But... But to me, that that's what matters the most. And it, it's not just like projecting ownership is tough. But if people are going to then look, because because how, how does that how does that uh, uh, circle of destruction end? Right. You can't you can't project like ownership projections can't project who's looking at the ownership projections. Right. Right, so it's like, okay, we're gonna, ownership projections say X, and then people are going to look at that and go, well, I'm not going to play a high-owned Trevor Rogers. So how, how many of those people are there? So now now the ownership projections now think in terms of, well, everyone's going to look at the 26 and only play half of them. So we're going to project Rogers for 13, and then I'm going to go, well, 13, I'm going to play a oh, lot of them. Play a lot and of then it goes back to 26, right? Like, like you, you, you're ending an ever, a never-ending loop of that. Like, you... At some point, the number has to be there. And all these sites, including RG, have ownership. So people are going to be making these assessments. Now, are we at the point where so many that this game, this has now become third level? No, we're not even, we're not even remotely close to that. But it, at least it's somewhat, it's not, we're not at, we're not at, at we're, we're, we're at the tail end of second level. A lot of, most people are still playing first level of who are the best teams let me play. I don't care about ownership. Second level is I care about ownership, but whatever it is, it is type of thing. I'm not even thinking about anyone else looking at my ownership. That's the third level. I don't think we've gotten to that point, but I still think there we've gotten somewhat. There is a portion of the field, maybe 20% that are utilizing third level thinking, whether it be good or bad, you're not going to know until lock hits on what the ownerships are going to come out to be. But there are, it seems like there are a lot more people that that are less, like, are less likely to play the chalk stack, more likely to play the chalk pitchers, more likely to play the low-owned, the leverage stack against the SP2, which is, that's why I look at Rodgers. Rodgers is going to be 26% on. Why aren't I playing the Nationals? 
Right. I looked and the Nationals ownership was supposed to be like 2% and they oh, ended wow. up at 4%. Yeah. Right. So like, like, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, two to four, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's still double the ownership. I still think they were profitable. Now, the Nationals at 4% ownership with Trevor Rogers at 13% ownership. You know what I would have done? Probably not played any national stacks. A lot of the, 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 the point of me playing national stats was because Rogers was going to be over 20% owned. And you can pass a large portion of the field if they go off and he sucks. Right. Same for the Kluber. Same for I'm playing Tigers because I think Kluber's going to be 17 to 20% owned. And he ends up being 9 to 11% owned. And it's like my Tiger stacks value just go down dramatically because of that. Yeah. So I'm looking at those types of things and like it doesn't matter what the results are. That's what you need to be. That's that's how you play DFS as a game. So if these if these ownerships are going to be manipulated, it sounds like a negative word, but it's not. By the fact that people are looking at ownership, we at least have to be aware somewhat of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's it that that third level thinking, I do think that you get yourself in trouble with it. Uh, because like you said, whether it's good or bad that they're doing it, I do think there are some people that are like straight up going galaxy brain and saying, oh, well, ownership projections say this, so people are going to do this, so I'm going to do the opposite of that. It's like, yeah, uh, if ownership projections are saying the Braves are going to have an average ownership of like 30%, so you undercut them, uh, how many other people are undercutting them? I don't, I, I agree with you that we're not quite there, that we really need to worry too much about people going straight up galaxy brain. I think that there is still at least like 60% of the field that's not playing correctly. There's that 30% of the field, which we keep using quotation marks because like they're, they are the field, but like they're not actually doing anything. They're just like throwing together lineups against the wall. And then there's probably another like 20% that are still like, just trying to cash lineups. And then there's another like 15% that are probably pretty decent players, but they're building bad lineups because they're just home run hunting. Like there's still a lot of lineups that are not actually competitive. And I, I do wonder if going third level is like, I, I, I can't- Probably I not worth it. It's probably still not worth it. I, I can't see a way of it being plus EV right now because ownership projections aren't good enough. Right. And, and I do, I think about it a lot of like, I, I kind of want to start building ownership projections because I think that I would do a really good job and I want to see what I can do with it. But at the same time, when people are like looking at ownership projections and saying, oh, well, Scherzer is supposed to be 44% owned, like the, the other day, perfect example. And, and this is where I think the edge still lies, even with these pitcher ownerships where they are. We had you Darvish, Garrett Cole. And uh, Bieber, oh. it was Bieber on that slate. Oh, it was Bieber. So those three pitchers, those three pitchers, Garrett Cole comes in at 60% ownership. It crushes like, though. Yeah, he crushed. Yeah, I don't care, dude. He's 60% owned. And Bieber is sitting here at 20% owned. Darvish comes in at 11% owned. That's where the edge lies in situations like that. Like I tell people all the time, and you and I have talked about it, I think on this podcast and on the show where there's significant ownership or, or there's significant edge in just like looking at and saying, oh, well, people are just going to play this guy. This guy projects basically the same. Just screw it. Just play this guy. Not that slate like, technically. Well, I, I had Bieber people were saying that. Say, it's very similar to that DeGrum slate. 
right? Where yeah. DeGrom is like 80 plus percent owned. And then he was like, what, 10.9K? Yeah. Like, dude, on that slate, DeGrom should have been 13,000. I mean, like. Yeah, you just played DeGrom on that situation. Right, on that slate. But but Cole, but that situation with Cole, if uh, in the bat, Cole, like Cole was, uh, Cole and Bieber were only $200 apart from each other. Cole projected median-wise six points higher. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. Okay, so that, that you so you understand why the ownership would be 60-20-10. Darvish <laughs> projected four points lower than Bieber. But they still all have the same ceiling for I know, I know what you're saying, but I'm just I'm I'm just that your 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 point would make so much more sense if the difference between Cole and Bieber on that slate were like two or three points and not six. It makes more sense now that I know that that's how the bat was projecting it. I, right. I don't use the bat. So like, I didn't know that he projected that high, but it, it you know, it, it is what it is. I, I think that when you look at stuff like that, PGA is another really, really good example. I know that we're talking about MLB right now, but like in PGA, I use a leverage metric uh, that basically is perfect for pivots because people will take 40% ownership on this golfer. That's like 7,500 when a golfer is 7,400 and has the same odds to be a top five finish and it's like people aren't aren't doing that enough in gpps i don't think people are pivoting enough at these like quote-unquote safe spots yeah cole was a safe spot but like if you can get darvish at 12 percent ownership versus cole at 60 percent ownership on that slate like i'm taking darvish a, a lot like a lot a lot of darvish now, what i'm doing but but james what you know what i tend to do more than that i tend to don't make that construction Okay, sure. Like on like on a slate work, because because what'll end up happening is that uh, that you'll get coal. People will build coal beaver lineups with cheap stacks, but not build lineups that don't have coal in it on that slate. And that which means the expensive stacks are the things that you end up getting a two percent owner. You get the I think about red stock, right? So I tend to do think that way of like what happens if coal busts or it doesn't bust, but he only puts up twenty. And then I could find a 7K pitcher that puts up 20. Yeah. Like, like, can I find one of those pitchers that put up at least 20? And then now I have I have a 25K stack that puts up 10 runs that no one with Cole could have re- legitimately really rostered. Right. They they couldn't have had like Acuna with Albies with Ozuna. Right. Like, like it just, it, it can't happen. Those, those are the kinds of things that you really need to think about for sure. Um, and, and like going back to kind of that thought of people galaxy braining it and going to that third level, I don't think that's plus EV because I don't think that ownership projections are good enough right now. Like you, you can't look at ownership projections and make a good enough informed decision of what the field is going to do right now in order to like double play the field and have that like galaxy brain moment. I think that you can kind of do it with pitchers right now. I, I think that you can kind of look at pitchers and say, okay, like very obviously these two guys are going to be like the top owned, um, but people are going to know that. So other people are going to do this. So I'm going to play more of this guy. We, we can hear what, what, what players they're going to be like on yesterday. Like we had Rogers, Molly, uh, Kluber, like that range Berrios. And I'm like, well, which one is, which one is going to be the one that people are going to pick? Like it I turned think out to hard. be Molly. I think I didn't hard. know, but I didn't know who, if, if, if Kluber ended up 20% owned and Molly ended up nine 
If if Kluber got all that ownership or Rogers got all that ownership or Berrios got all that, I wouldn't have been surprised in either of those cases. Right. But in each of those cases, I have to make a different decision. So like right. if the ownership projections are not as accurate around their injury, which it, it's very tough to be. Yeah. Like, so which one are you going to choose? That That's why I, that, that overall, from an overall sentiment on how you should be changing, at least considering your construction is just in general, what we've noticed is chalk pitchers tend to be a little chalkier mm-hmm. than what's projected to be owned. Chalk stacks still are high owned, but maybe a little less owned. Let some of the some of the cheaper pieces in the stacks. You might right if you play a a brave stack, maybe Austin Riley goes under. Like there's going to be something people are going to jam in a certain combination like that, and then the leverage stacks tend to be slightly more owned like the sp2 type of stack those types of stacks or stacks that project like second we had one slate a couple of days ago with the the dodgers and i'm like the dodgers are going to be like the sixth highest owned stack and they can end up being the second like it it, it's like because everyone looked and go if i'm not going to play the yankees who am i going to play right right and they go oh the dodgers because why not? They're the Dodgers. I mean, like you can always have a reason to play the Dodgers. And then they go from the, they go from sixth, sixth highest to second highest. And then you're sitting there going, I just played the Dodgers at uh, uh, Mookie Betts is 18% and Muncie is 14 and Seager's 17. Like, dude, these were supposed to be like nines and tens. And it's like, Oh yeah. Because everyone got it. Cause all the people, all the people, people still played the Yankees. The Yankees were still 20 plus percent owned, but whoever got off the Yankees, like 90% of them went to the Dodgers. Just like with the Cubs, that's like, like so many people just like, I'm going to get off the chalk and they're going to go there. And it just yeah. so happened there. Like, does everyone look, everyone made the same assessment, right? The, the accurate assessment of why the Dodgers only 9% owned on the slate. They should be 15% owned. And then they come in at 18% owned and you go, if I knew they were 18% owned, I wouldn't have played. This is one of the reasons why I like having a small community of just like, around 275 people because i don't move the ownership at all <laughs> I, I i can i can do whatever i want to do and say whatever i want to say and it's going to move it like point yeah, oh but nothing nothing moves it that much it doesn't move it no but nothing does nothing like that projections oh, dude, I, I maybe think, i think that things move maybe not in baseball but i, I think that definitely like in in nfl oh dude like the the respected the respected opinions We'll move over ownership like five, ten percent, especially. Well, I mean, take a look like at Adam Troutman week. Yeah, yeah, dude. Adam, Adam, trust Troutman. me, just trust me that there's only one place that was talking about Adam Troutman, and he came and owned a tight end. All right, then. I'm saying, dude, I, like maybe not for MLB. I, I think maybe not for MLB, but for NBA, for NFL, like I, I think content moves the moves ownership quite a bit. Okay, I do, well, and. It, it, and it, especially with niche sports, like niche sports, you see if, if me or the esports department is on like somebody for Counter-Strike, like ownership is here, man. Ownership is all the way up there. So it's it's wild. I, I, I do think that content moves ownership more than people think. Well, the same thing for soccer. I do the, do a soccer podcast and, but I, I'll just talk about the chalk. Like to me, content is all about the chalk. Like here's the chalk, but that doesn't mean that you in GPPs that you should be playing the cash lineup. Like that to me, that's how I view it. Of like, 
it, most of the content, it's like, oh, here are the best plays. But it's like, okay, the, the best plays doesn't make for the best lineup, mm-hmm. depending on, yeah, if you're playing double ups, it does. Yeah, sure, jam in the best plays, have fun, right? Yeah. Go for it. But when it comes to GPPs, you have to think, you have to think of correlation. You have to think of leverage. You have to think of all, all different types of variables rather than who do you think is going to do the best? Because that's not going to win you anything. It, and that's it what is, we talk it is about. also incredibly difficult to just say who's going to do the best because we can't predict the future. No. And that's, gonna be alive tomorrow. I don't know. It's, it's an asteroid is. That's another part of uh, of a lot of the edge that exists is people are just like, oh, well, why didn't this guy do well? He projected so well, or like he was written up here, or like these people talked about him here. And it's just like, because nobody can predict the future, dude. Like predict, try to predict what other people are doing and take advantage of the mistake of that they think they can predict future. That's, that's what you should be doing, especially in GPPs. And, and like, I'm doing a, a little challenge right now. I'm doing a $500 to $5,000 challenge in MLB. Started a week ago. I've lost $11. It's a wonderful, fun time. Um, but like, I'm not doing cash games in it because I don't, one, I don't like cash games. And two, I don't think that I'm super incredible at playing cash games. I think I'm better at GPPs. So all I'm doing at this point is just playing GPPs. And most of what I am doing is like, okay, well, what are people going to do? How can I take advantage of it? What do my models say? Okay, that's, that's just what I'm going to do. And it doesn't even really matter what the lineups that I build, like I build good lineups because I've built a lot of lineups, but for the most part, I just build the lineups that come naturally. And I'm like, okay, well, this is how I can fit things that project. Well, I'm just going to move on to the next one. People kill themselves thinking about like, Hey, I, I have like a one, two, four, six, and a one, three, five, seven. And like, is that good enough? And I'm like, I don't know, dude, whatever. If it fits with the best pitcher that you can find, like just go for it and hopefully you get the home runs. I, especially when it comes to these teams that have like every hitter can be like a 15 plus point guy, like the twins. If you're stacking the twins, just stack the twins. All of them can hit home runs. If you're stacking the Braves, just stack the Braves. Dodgers, just stack them and, and like you're fine. But, but, if the Yankees are going to be 50 plus percent owned, do you really want to take that shot instead of just taking the Braves or the Twins? I don't. Or vice versa, whatever. Like if these guys are going to be like 50% owned, I just don't think that it's worth it to me, especially in large field contests. If I have these three levers, I, I consider the three levers of SP1, SP2, and the top stack, right? Like in my main stack, SP1, SP2. In large field GPPs, I want one of those to be different. Like one of those can be the same. The other two I want to be different. In smaller field stuff, maybe two of those can be the same. One can be different. But like of those three levers, I want to make sure that I am different somewhere. Like you, you just can't take the top SP1, top SP2, and the top stack, and then just like hope to, to have all of the right pieces of the top stack and then compete against that 30% of the field and then have a secondary stack that you hope is like 1% owned and goes off, but I, you can just gain so much more by just like avoiding one of those pieces. And we talk about this in the theory of daily fantasy sports, 15 hour audio DFS masterclass, go to theoryofdfs.com to pick it up. How to think like a professional DFS player, long-term thinking, right? Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploit, psychology. It's all in there. Download it. It's structured education. You could most people listen to it multiple times. Mm-hmm. It'll be it'll be, you can listen to it five years from now. It'll still be applicable 
to DFS and any sport. So pick that up there. So for another Monday, Mondays with McCool, James McCool, pay dirt, DFS.com, pay dirt underscore DFS on Twitter. I'm Blenderhead, Blender HD on Twitter. And, and as usual, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here every, every Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock in the morning Eastern for the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com. Thank you.